who were questioning whether Jesus actually really did rise from the dead. Um, which actually I sort of say, fair enough, because um, that doesn't happen every day, does it? Uh, 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 people die every day, but you don't often get people rising back to brand new life again. So perhaps you can understand why some of the Corinthians were um, a little bit sceptical. So Paul's writing to counter their scepticism, their doubt. Now, let me ask you something profound yet troubling. If you became believers because you trusted the proclamation that Christ is alive, risen from the dead, how can you let people say there is no such thing as a resurrection? If there's no resurrection, there's no living Christ. And face it, if there's no resurrection for Christ, everything we've told you is smoke and mirrors. Everything you've staked your life on is smoke and mirrors. Not only that, but we would be guilty of telling a string of bare-faced lies about God. All those affidavits about being passed on to you, verifying that God raised up Christ. Sheer fabrications, if there's no resurrection. If corpses can't be raised, then Christ wasn't, because he was indeed dead. And if Christ wasn't raised, then all you're doing is wandering about in the dark, as lost as ever. It's even worse for those who died hoping in Christ and resurrection, because they're already in their graves. And if all we get out of Christ is a little inspiration for a few short years, we're a pretty sorry lot. But the truth is that Christ has been raised up. The first in a long legacy of those who are going to leave the cemeteries. Paul convinced that God miraculously, in a way I don't understand. But I'm able to say to you this morning, I believe God raised Jesus Christ to brand new life. Let, let's, let's see if we can sort of illustrate uh, the impact that that needs to have on each and every one of our lives and our families and friends, our neighbours, our colleagues. Um, so I've got a, little, um, got a little visual aid. I don't know if you will, um, members of my congregation this morning will recognise what I've got in my bag here. I'm just going to lay them on the front. And it may be there's one or two spare seats or a bit of space on the floor. So if you can't quite see or you think you're out of range of these uh, things here, then why don't you come? You can come if you want, bring mum and dad or someone else. <laughs> so you're a little bit closer. I'm gonna need, I'm gonna need three volunteers, uh, one at a time. But let me, if I demonstrate, have I got a bit wonderful? I've got a volunteer here, Spence again, fantastic, and Thomas, yes, yes, yes. Okay, um, why don't, I tell you what, yeah, should we have, Thomas, why don't you, you come first, and then Paul, why don't you sit there, and Spence, you sit there, you're kind of on the waiting, and what I'll do is I'll just demonstrate what I'd want each of you to do, so watch very carefully. Okay, inside here is, what do you think? A chocolate Easter egg. A chocolate Easter egg, you are quite right. And it's all been carefully wrapped here, and what you need to do, I'll, I'll demonstrate with this one, is you carefully unwrap it, very carefully, because inside there'll be a tiny little slip of paper folded up. OK, 
okay, and you need to unfold it there. So I might have had, you see, Spence, I might have had, they'll have a date on it. So it could have the 20th of April, 2019, which was the first time Fulham proved they could actually play football. <laughs> and then what you do is you take that, and look, watch carefully. <laughs> His face. His face. Brilliant unwrapping. Fantastic. You have that one up? Can you read that up? Hang on. 6th of May, 1954. Fantastic. Now, what I, what I suggest is you put that one down there and pick that one up quick before I grab it. That's it. <laughs> Thomas, you give, let's give Thomas a hand. Okay, so quiz question, open to everyone. What happened for the very first time on the 6th of May, 1954. Something happened that had never happened before. The 6th of May, 1954. I know, before many of us were born. Ah, oh, Mr. Webb, guess is sneaking in there, yeah. <laughs> we, got, we, got, we got a few, I don't know why we got clergy, how come we got clergy from other churches in the church here? Incognito, I've outed you. Um, it's my friend, Owen. Uh, quite right, the, the four-minute mile, but, but a little bit more specifically, what do we mean by that? Is there a name attached? Roger Bannister. Very good. He was the very first person to run a mile under four minutes. Now, for, for years and years, decades before that, people had tried, they'd been training for it. They, they thought it was like this sort of golden marker. Can we run a mile in under four minutes? And it was thought to be impossible. Scientists and, and doctors, up until fairly recently before that date, said physiologically our bodies are just not capable of running that fast, that far, that we can break a mile in four minutes. Do you know how many people had run a mile in under four minutes a year later? Oh, actually, I should say, sorry, more precise, how many times it had been run, because it wasn't that many people. Seven, seven times. In the, in the year. Yeah, and then it quickly, it quickly escalated. Nowadays, and basically club runners, de decent runners. Connor, when, he, when his foot is completely healed. Can, actually, can you run a full minute? <laughs> but he's close. This boy is close, I tell you. He's speed. He's lightning. It, a lot of um, really good runners. <laughs> Athletes. It, it, I think the world record is 1,500 metres. is 3.43, something like that. Um, so it, a lot of people can do it. But it took that one man... To, to change the mindset. You've been so patient, my puppet. Here we go. That one there. Can you find the date? Oh, well done. Can you read that one out? Can you do that? July the 20th, 1969. Teamwork, love it. July the 20th, 20th, 1969. 69. July the 12th, done, Poppet. July the 20th, 1969. It's hard to concentrate with a half open chocolate egg. Yeah. Thank you so much. July the 20th, 1969. What happened for the first time? 
man on the moon. Well done. Yeah. How many people have walked on the moon since? Come on in. Eleven. Bang. Straight on the money. Oh, we've we still got a spare egg to give Laurie over there. That's just, that's just knowledge in the back row, isn't it? Twelve people in total. Uh, and previously we thought, there's no way we can live beyond our planet, let alone walk on another planet. But on July the 20th, 1969, we proved it was possible. And since then, 11 other people have walked on the moon. And we've, uh, I mean, it's, it's, we've been taking photographs of black holes billions and billions and billions of light years away. Our technology takes us way beyond our own planet. We've smashed through a barrier, something that we thought was impossible, now possible. Come on in, Spence. You've been waiting there so patiently. There's your egg. So, yeah, you open it. That's it. And then you should find that's it, a little date in there. These guys are so amazing. I'd have, I'd have dropped the paper and eaten the egg, but as you saw. November the 9th, 1989. November the 9th, 1989. Let the children play. Golly. Just straight in. I want to win. Give that man an egg. Someone, quickly. He's got me a hassle. Mr. Trowbridge, thank you. Quite right. That was when the Berlin Wall came down. The Berlin Wall, which separated East from West Berlin. There were families. Imagine this. There were families. Brothers and sisters and aunts and uncles who were divided when they put that wall up pretty much, pretty quickly, overnight. And on, what's the date? November the uh, 9th, 1989, the wall came down. In fact, uh, I've got the details here. There's a soldier named um, Harold Jaeger, an East German border guard, and he smashed through the wall. And so thousands were able to flood through. Families reunited. And now, the Berlin, there's just elements, little facades of the Berlin Wall that, that uh, remain there as a kind of historical curiosity. Uh, and generations born now have got no idea of the division and the terror that that wall represented to so many people. Big hand, Spence. Well done. Don't forget your <laughs> Folks, I want to say it's, it's absolutely vital that we understand and grasp the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Every single one of us uh, was born like Jesus. Every single one of us living like Jesus did. Every single one of us one day will die like Jesus did. Jesus is not unusual from every single one of us in this room in that regard. But here's where he is unique as a human being, of all human beings, of all religious leaders, of everyone you could Google or read about in Wikipedia. Jesus is unique in that on the third day, God raised him to brand new life. The resurrection of the dead is absolutely vital. It's at the centre of our Christian faith. The creed says, on the third day, he was raised again. Or well, here is what uh, he says. I'll read again from this uh, little extract to the church in Corinth. Face it, he said, if there's no resurrection for Christ, everything we've told you is smoke and mirrors. Everything you've staked your life on is smoke and mirrors. If Christ wasn't raised, then all you're doing is wandering about in the dark, as lost as ever, he says to them. He might be saying to each of us. If all we get out of Christ is a little inspiration for a few short years, we're a pretty sorry lot. I could take you, if I could take you, to the grave of Moses, we'd find a body. 
the remains thereof. If I took you to the grave of Muhammad, the leader of uh, the, the great prophet of Islam, we'd find a body. If I took you to the grave of the Buddha, we would find a body. But if I take you to the grave of Jesus Christ, again, uniquely, you will not find a body. He is not here. The angel said to Mary, he is risen. He is risen indeed, hallelujah. That's what marks Jesus Christ as unique in the whole of human history. And that is what marks the Christian faith, therefore, as unique. And the resurrection at the very centre of our faith. If Christ has not been raised from the dead, we're a pretty sorry lot. But God raised Christ to brand new life. Hey, as I said at the start, I don't understand how God did it, but fortunately, God isn't asking us to understand it. I don't understand how the combustion engine works. I know some clever people do, but it doesn't stop me driving a car. I don't understand how electricity works, but I don't live in the dark. I live day by day exercising faith in things I don't understand. I flick a switch and the light comes on. That'll do for me. And I don't understand how God raised Jesus Christ, crucified, died, buried. But I believe that he did. And that's all God asks me to do and all God asks each and every one of us to do. And it's at the very centre of our faith. Because if he didn't raise Jesus from the dead, he's no different from the rest of us. And we're a sorry old lot, as Paul says. But if he did raise Jesus from the dead, I'd want to say since he raised Jesus from the dead, then we have his life living in us if we ask him and invite him in. We can ask Jesus, who is alive today by his spirit, to live with us in our schools, in our places of work, in our families. And the same Jesus that brings healing and restoration, his resurrection body was a perfected body, can heal and restore relationships can heal and restore sickness and illness, can heal communities, even cities, nations, and the world in which we live. It needs Christians like you and I, with the risen Lord Jesus, to take that good news, he is risen indeed, hallelujah, to our places of work, our schools, our networks and neighbourhoods. So I'd love just before we come to, to communion and hand back to Lids as we kind of take in Jesus as it were symbolically his body and his blood as we refresh ourselves in the fact that he's alive today just a moment pause and for us to think actually do I stake my life on Jesus Christ crucified and raised again is that the most significant and the most important thing that I believe Am I to be pitied? Or does my life have purpose and power as I live in his resurrected life for his glory and for the sake of others? Let me give you just a moment too. There may be one or two people here. I don't know everyone in this room. There may be one or two people who've never actually considered the claims of Jesus Christ. Not just that he lived and taught and loved like he did. Not even that he died. Lots of good people die. But that he raised again. I am the resurrection and the life, he said to Mary and Martha. And he says to us, and he says maybe to you this morning, I am 
the resurrection and the life. If you believe in me, even though you die, you will live. If you put your faith and trust in me. I'm give an opportunity just this morning, maybe just one person here, and you want to pray something like that prayer in the quietness of your heart. And to say to Jesus, I give my life, my trust, all that I know of myself to you. So that you will help me to live my life in a way that makes you look good. You'll eradicate the past, wipe clean the slate, give me fresh purpose, peace, meaning. In Jesus' name. Amen.